Welcome. Join your host and anointed guest for a crash course of equipping to release God's mighty authority. And now, your host, international speaker, author, revivalist, and prophetic voice, Pastor Ren Shuffman. Hey, welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. This is your host, Pastor Ren Shuffman. I'm excited about today's recording. We got a great guest coming on. I'm going to bring him right on right now. Chad Norris is joining us. How are you doing today, Chad? Hey, Ren, I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. We're so excited to have here. Uh, now, Sean Tabbitt, our friend from Destiny Image, uh, was talking you up and talking about how great uh, you are and what this word that you've released in the season that you've written in this book. I have your book here that I've just started to read. Shake, uh, God is shaking the temple. Uh, and I'm only partly into it, but you've already got me caught up in it. Uh, the very first chapter so far, you're talking about the need for spiritual fathers, for fathers to rise up in this generation. And as everyone that's listening to me knows, I also have written a book about how important spiritual fathers are in this season. So tell me about what God has been talking to you uh, in that lane, and then let's go further into what God has been speaking for the whole revelation. Ren, I'm about to turn 50 years old, been in leadership with my wife for 25 years in the local church and the older I get in uh, the Lord, the more I've been caught off guard with actually how much grace is in the old Testament and how much severity is in the new Testament. I wouldn't have thought that years ago, uh, growing up as a Baptist all those years ago, I really associated the old Testament with some thunderous distance between God and me and new Testament with Jesus and more grace. Yet the older I get, the more I study the scriptures for myself, there's a lot of severity in the New Testament. There's a lot of warnings. And specifically, Paul's relationship with Timothy is just something that's driven me for about 10 years. Like most people, I'm sure you included, uh, it's easier to look backwards and see what God was doing in a season than a lot of times discerning what he's doing presently. But in the past, I just I could not stop reading Paul. I even laughed around here at the church uh, that I pastor. It's like I had a man crush on Paul, and I, I just... <laughs> looked at his relationship with Timothy and, and he was a father to Timothy. And I will never forget where I was. I could take you to the exact spot. I was getting ready to teach at our school and I walked in, I heard the Holy spirit so loud to me. It was, you know, most of the time it's impressions and every once in a while it is, it's beyond an impression. It really almost jars you. He said, Paul's greatest contribution was his fathering of Timothy. And, and God sent me on a really a journey of exploring biblically. What is discipleship? What is mentoring? What, what is this whole conversation? Well, and then I didn't see this coming, but about four years ago, God uh, began to give me a very loud message against a celebrity spirit in his church. In the natural, I'm a teddy bear. I'm, I'm, I'm not the parent to be afraid of. It's more my wife or my three kids. I'm, I'm the fun dad. But yet everything came out of my mouth. From stage, it was warning upon warning upon warning of this celebrity spirit. And really what that celebrity spirit is in his church today, it's anti-fathering. It's more of leading from stage. And uh, 
God is riding the waves of this COVID thing, and I'm convinced he is dismantling the structure of the ecclesia that does not father and mother. You know, this is God's big desire in Matthew 28. I mean, Jesus talks about it. Yet, Ren, what I noticed, a lot of leaders do not father or mother. Absolutely true. I agree 100%. Uh, show me a man with a father and I'll show you he has a future. It's so important that we have that. And and some of the things that I talk about is the fact that not just the celebrity culture, but the CEO culture, where pastors have become CEO, we don't father. If you don't perform your job as an associate pastor or in a position of the church, well, you're fired, let go and let out a relationship. I have children and I've removed them from leadership positions at times, but I've never yep. kicked them out of the house because they're sons, they're not employees. And so we have that problem where we've gotten away from the Timothys and the Paul. So what do we do to fix that? Golly. I think uh, for guys like you and me, Ren, it's more about what you model than what you teach. And so, uh, let's take, for example, here in the Garden Greenville, the church that I pastor here in Greenville, South Carolina. We have around 70 students in our school. And what I've noticed in the last few years of this school is it's it's a, it's a discipleship school. What I model and those around me model is way louder than any classroom time. So I think you got to start with a couple of questions. Number one, are you discipling your own kids? And so you got to define well, what is discipleship. It's life on life. It's messy. It's 24-7. You don't check in. You don't check out. Are you, Does this start in your own home? And if you if people interviewed others behind your back, would they say that you're a father or more of a CEO? And so I think it's modeling it in the home and actually modeling it in the workplace. Maybe you're not a lead pastor. Maybe you're in the marketplace. Teaching on discipleship, you need about one hour of teaching and about a million hours of just, just modeling it. Come on. One, but, my uh, my 18-year-old is freshman in college now, Sam. We're very close. He came to me recently. He said, uh, Dad, the father showed me something. He said, your your best contribution to me was time. Here's the deal. Discipleship and fathering, it is not efficient. You know what's funny, Ren, is when we get married, we have kids. None of us know what the heck we're doing. It doesn't come with a manual. You don't have the angel that manifests and tell you what to do. You didn't have one of those? Just me? <laughs> yeah. Most of the oh. time, you're just trying to figure, what the heck are we doing? I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw Blind Eyes Open was in the same season that we had our first toddler. And I remember talking to my wife, because back then we were really starting to see signs and wonders really increase. And I said, it's funny that you can see God do the impossible, and it's almost impossible to raise a kid. You know what? Nobody thinks they're qualified to uh, make disciples. Well, join the crowd, man, for heaven's sakes. It, yeah, it's messy. And you need God. I think the reason most of us don't do it is because it's hard. We don't like hard things. Yeah, come on. I had a teenager just recently ask me, how do I start to disciple when I don't feel like I've arrived there? Well, I've grown. I said, you have to stop trying to look inward at yourself. It's, yeah. it's not a selfish inward looking. I said, what tells you you're ready to disciple somebody is when you take one step forward and yeah. you can tell the person behind you, where the step is safe to take forward. If you're walking through treacherous area, then if you take a step and it's safe, you can tell them, hey, put your foot where my foot is. So one step, as you take a step, you tell them how to take the next step. You don't have yeah. to be there, right? Yeah. 
And I tell you, Ren, what I've noticed is the devil specializes in convincing people that they're never ready. Well, guess what? Who is ready to have a kid in the natural? I've never met someone that says, yeah, we're just ready. All the moms and the dads that my wife and I have helped pastor over the years, they're terrified when they have that first baby. And then you just figure it out. So I like what you're saying. Don't think 10 steps down the road. I think you got to carry to some degree a level of spiritual capital with the father. I can only give away what I carry, not what I know. Other than that, if you wait to get ready, you're going to be 110 years old still waiting. You, you get ready by just taking that step. Absolutely. Both of us are senior pastors. I think both of us would look back on those first couple of years and we might say, who the heck let us do this? Yeah. Like, what were they thinking? I knew nothing. I didn't know what I was doing. And a yeah. lot of these lessons about fathering for me came out of failure. It came out of, oh, that's not the way to raise someone up. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Yeah. And so you make those mistakes, you adjust. So let's talk for a minute about what you feel like is coming in the season. So the book is not just God is fathering his temple, right? right. It's God is shaking his temple. Now, yep. a couple of years ago, God gave me such a profound word that a shaking was coming to his church that I actually wrote a song that we do in worship and a lot, actually a lot of churches do in yep. worship uh, called Shake the Earth because I felt like this shaking season was about to come upon the church. So I'm curious to hear your perspective of what this shaking looks like. What it, what it, What is it? Uh, my encounter with the father that played a large role in this book three or four years ago happened at the 9-11 Museum in New York City, Manhattan. I was at the memorial and the Holy Spirit led me to go into the room. It's a small room there uh, that was how bin Laden did it. And, you know, a lot of times we wonder, is this me or is this God? I could not stop thinking about 9-11 for a while. I said, Father, what is this? And I was just wrestling with it. And I noticed that Bin Laden's model, forget what you think about him. I'm not really talking about him. I'm talking about his model. How in the world did he create a model that was successful to bring down two buildings? How did it shake the world? And I went in there and the Holy Spirit began to show me that Bin Laden had a better discipleship model than most churches. Ouch. And I, 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 I even thought about writing an entire book around that, but it's only part of this book. He basically, this is what he did. Uh, he multiplied himself into other leaders. He became their spiritual father. Now, obviously, we know. I mean, he's believing in the upside-down triangle of how uh, our father is. But that's not the point. I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking about methodology. Why is it Bin Laden had a better method that looks more like 28, Matthew 28, 28, the church does? Most American churches count success by this. How many butts are in seats? Uh, who and who, how many people showed up to hear the same man give the same sermon over and over and over and over. And God began to show me that's not heaven's scorecard for success. Heaven's scorecard for success is multiplication. I had a dramatic encounter. There is a lady at our church with a strong track record in the prophetic over the last 10 years. When I say strong, I mean very, very strong. She came to me. She said, the father's going to uh, take you into heaven. You're not going to go when you want to go. And I thought, listen, it, whatever God wants for me, that's not something I've ever really thought much about. Well, it happened uh, one one night late, and it, it's almost a, very difficult to describe what it was like. But I, I was taken there and had a conversation with a man dressed in white. He said two things to me. He said, God's going to take you to a season of gossip and slander to train you in love. And then he's going to use you. And he showed me what my future was. And I said, why is God going to do this with me? And he said, because you value multiplication. 
And so I have been in this now for about 15 years of digging of like, God, what is this? There is a literal judgment at hand at the method of his local church, specifically in America. Let's take right now China, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran. The kingdom of God is exploding in these four places. And you ask yourself, well, how is it happening? There's no church buildings right now. There's no such thing as this CEO model of lead pastor. You can't find it. The Iron Curtain falls around 50 years ago. Missionaries flee out of China. Around that time, there was a million uh, uh, Christians. 50 years later, it loosens up and more missionaries go back into China. And they said there's around 50 million Christians. In those 50 years, how in the world did the church grow so fast? There's no buildings. There's none of the way in which we do church. It's happening now in Iran, crazy. It happened through discipleship. It happened in homes. When you see Saul of Tarsus, before he converted, he goes back, he goes into the homes. Then he gets converted, and when he goes to spread the message of the gospel, he does it in the homes. The devil realized he couldn't defeat the church in America, so he just joined it, and he pulled it into this Roman system of control, CEO, tyranny. It's not much different than what the Catholic Church was in the 1500s when the Reformation happened. And I believe this new, what God doing, he's shaking the model of his temple. You are going to see an explosion of discipleship. No one can stop this. People are paranoid about what the devil's doing. I, I've been prophesying for years. The father is coming to, to rattle the cage of the church and how we do church. It's going into the ecclesia, the marketplace. All 12 disciples of Jesus Christ were marketplace leaders. And so I know I just shared a lot there, Ren. Obviously, you can tell I'm passionate about it. But when I say he's shaking his temple, I'm speaking specifically to the methodology of the church. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think I was just talking to somebody about this. I don't think we're in an evangelism. I, let me put it this way. I don't believe we're in Billy Graham's evangelism America anymore. I don't believe you can just hold a service and all the lost will show up to see what's going on. That's not how it's working anymore. And the model of the church has to shift back to the model we saw in the beginning when the world knew nothing about Jesus. We're in a place in America where kids grow up not knowing who the person, the character of Jesus, just, just the, they know more about Santa Claus than they do Jesus. And we're returning to a world where it's necessary to get out there. That shaking, I believe, is coming. That's why you guys kind of do that model of, um, uh, you call it the gathering and the scattering, right? Since around the Puritans, it's been gather, 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 gather. Well, the early church was gather, scatter, repeat, gather, scatter, repeat. And so, you know, it's not much different than the Protestant Reformation when Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and all these guys are leading the Protestant Reformation. There was so much control of the great man of God, the priests and the Pope. Well, it hasn't changed too much. Even in the charismatic stream, we've become more addicted to our leaders uh, than we are to actually multiplying our own lives in, into the lives of others. And I tell you, I, I did not see this coming. But when the Father the Father put a burden on me to begin a prayer ministry here, and we bought a $20,000 tent, and we have just been praying and praying and praying. It, that tent has caused so many problems. It has stirred up so much warfare on this house because there's three things that the devil cannot stand. He hates a, a, a corporate ideology and theology of intimacy with God in prayer. He can't stand it. He absolutely hates a multiplication system in the home. 
And he does not want uh, that to get out into the city. So in my book, I referred to it last three chapters, tent home city. What the local churches in America, very rarely will you find a local church in any denomination who's truly passionate about prayer. Very rare. Very rarely will you find a discipleship model. Now, you can find connect groups and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a fathering and mothering model. Very different. And very rarely will you find a church that's truly equipping and sending out marketplace leaders to do the stuff in the city. So if you want to take a look at the early church, it does not look much at all, Ren, how the local church in America looks. I'm not even that guy. I'm not a negative guy. I'm a positive guy in life. I'm fun to be around. I'm not a doomsday guy, but he is raising watchmen on the wall right now. Come on. And and it's not about COVID. Everybody thinks about COVID. Uh Uh-uh. Do I believe that the father uh, makes people sick through COVID? Nope. I can tell you what he's doing. I believe he is using COVID as his tool to shake his church, giving his way down, attendance his way down. But what's happening is a remnant church is rising. And this remnant church is rising in a different model. I'm getting ready to be on. Uh, I've been talking with Sid Roth and his team a little bit. And we're talking about three teachings I'm going to do up there. And it's this tent home city in times of shaking, in times of turbulence. Don't be, oh, I can't believe what the devil's doing. Actually, it's a perfect recipe for reformation. And you're going to see <clears throat> this is the time he changed the model of the church. That I, I agree completely. I think that uh, the church wasn't destroyed. It was deployed. And so we have to start to look at a different model. I completely agree. And the shaking was necessary. So from my own perspective as a senior pastor, one of the things that I have always looked at as a negative in my ability was I'm a good teacher, but I'm not a good syllabus creator. I don't create a whole classroom environment. I don't have the year lined out and then we're going to go from this teaching to that teaching to that teaching. And so I've always thought, man, one of these days I got to get my act together and I got to have my ABC and I got to go through these steps to equip and train and raise leaders up. Right. And I just continue to drop the ball in that area. So one day I just threw my hands up in the air and said, you know what? I don't know how to prepare the year syllabus for my leaders. So I'm going to do the only thing I know to do. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm just going to take them everywhere I go and have them be with me with everything I do and just let what's on my life leak onto them. Lead by example, just be next to me, just be available and you'll see everything that happens. And I think that they've risen up faster than any theology or uh, than any theological class or seminary could have raised them up to. And so I stumbled on that going, wait a second, isn't this how Jesus led? They went and did ministry, they watched Jesus, and then they debriefed after and so that goes into what you're saying there, where we need, we really need to just uh, surround people in our environment and be that father because the shaking is coming. I think, so, I think, I think it's already started. I had one of our students this morning, we're talking about seminary, and I said, I, I will not write you a letter of recommendation. Um, I graduated from a renowned seminary, and at the time it was right for me, and I was being spirit-led on it. When I look at what you just said and where we are now, Let's just take universities, for example. There's less and less kids going to college. The educational model is changing. If you want to see how God's shaking things, don't just look at the uh, ecclesia. You look at educational models. You you look at different 
um, influences in culture. Everything's changing right now. This seems silly to some people what I'm about to say, but even look at how television is being done. Okay, so now, can you imagine, even 10 years ago, imagining this? People are flocking away from direct TV, from cable television. Everything is a la carte. You say, what does that have to do with shaking this temple? Everything feels so wobbly right now. And it's because heaven is way more involved than hell. It's so funny. I pastor a charismatic church, and everybody's always saying the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. The Father is the one shaking everything. In times of reformation, which is right now, it's already started. It's God who is shaking. And the reason, he told me, he woke me up in the middle of the night. I wrote about the book three years ago. He said my name twice. He said, Chad, Chad, there's millions of people in my church in America that are not regenerated. And I, I, was, I was in that state between sleep and being awake, and I tried to yell back. He is raising watchmen on the wall. It's a massive warning. And, and the times are shaky right now. It's because God's doing, he's the one doing the shaking. Amen. I think so. I think the model changes in this season. I think the way we disciple changes in the season and we start to return to a more biblical view. You know, you get people that get very frustrated with the side of organized religion. And so I think they've actually gone and swung the pendulum a little bit too far. You have this whole camp of people that say house churches are the only way to go. That's the New Testament model. But yeah. we forget that Paul started house churches and preached in synagogues. There was both. Yeah, we have a core value here called temple and home. I, if you get involved, this is just statistically and what I've seen over the years, without some sort of Antioch covering, Antioch base, uh, house church model, a lot of times, as Todd White says, they're demonic wound licking groups where a bunch of uh, like-minded offended people gather together. I, um, I love what Francis Chan did when he moved to San Francisco. He started a um, house church movement. Here's what he did. They set up a group of elders, and there actually was a network of accountability. A lot of people pursuing house churches are just greatly offended and actually hate the church, and the devil hits those things so hard. So you got to be very careful there. And so we like to just study Acts 13 here. There's an Antioch model. You have apostles and you have prophets there. There's a, there's a home base with a governance structure. And yet you see it just begin to multiply in the homes. So for us here, we're temple and home. That's good. So if if you're talking to the church right now and you're and you're trying to get across that core message that you're saying, hey, this is what you need to shift into. What is the person that's listening or watching right now need to start making adjustments in their own life to prepare themselves as this shaking is happening? Man, that is a great question. And not trying to be the, the a.m., uh, 3 a.m. in the morning preacher that starts screaming about the Bible. But the first place you got to start and do it yourself. Be like a Berean. Dig in there. Look at the model. Again, I'm talking about the model. Look at the model of the early church. Start reading books to, to, to try to articulate in your own mind, your own heart. What was the church? So Jesus, when he ascends. You begin to see, and we have evidence of this in the scripture and also with other researchers. You, you see there's synagogue, there's temple, and there's homes. The home was so huge in the early church. So is your home a place to hide, or is your home like an embassy to train and equip? People around here laughing. My wife and I, our house is like a hotel. Someone always there. Heidi Baker, um, I know Heidi. Heidi's had a big influence on in my life. She says all the time, love has to look like something. 
the mantra that I say a lot is discipleship has to look like something. And so I would start with the word itself and start with your own house. Are you connected to a local church that believes in fathering a mother? Are they training you to do that? And instead of letting the great man of God do all your work for you, are you, what if the only way to know if you're born again, Ren, was whether or not you were making disciples? That would terrify people. Billy Graham, right before he died, one of his big regrets, what he said, was that he did not put more of an emphasis on discipleship. Now, hear me out on this. I'm not trying to be like some shock guy just for shock sake, but the Lord showed me this one day. The way that the gospel is presented to many American Christians, a devil could get born again. Let me explain. Okay, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Yes. Do you want to go to heaven, not go to hell? Yes. Okay, you're in. Go read the scriptures and look at Jesus say, follow me. Look at him go to John 6 and give a hard word, and many disciples deserted him, and he didn't chase them down. The biblical meta-narrative of salvation is very different than what most of us have grown up in. I'm telling you right now, I believe there are going to be millions of people shocked thinking they were born again, but yet all they did was just agree that Jesus died on the cross. He's not Lord, he's not master, and you're not making disciples. And what he has opened my eyes to, that's not okay. We have created the most comfortable culture of Christianity in American history. Where are the Bonhoeffers? Where are the cost of discipleship reform? Where do they go? I have, uh, I've been on two of Darren Wilson's um, documentaries about God doing unusual things and the supernatural. I've met so many people in the charismatic stream that I didn't know before. And one of the questions I ask a lot is, when did this become just about either me exercising my gift or maybe just being so admired with the prophetic gift that I carry? Where are the nitty-gritty fathers and mothers actually doing the stuff? And I think a lot of people are hiding behind platforms that look Christian even pulpits, and God's going, why are you not doing what I commanded in Matthew 28? Come on, that's so good. You know, I've actually talked about that with Billy Graham in particular because Billy Graham is somebody that I really respect for what he did. So I have nothing negative to say about his ministry other than this one thing. When he died, what happened? Where where is the next Billy Graham? We that that's a whole other discussion. But when you look at it, you realize that as an Elijah, there's no Elisha. There's nobody carrying on that legacy. And I said the most dangerous thing is when a move of God is built on a man because yeah. it'll end with the man. And when really? that man is gone, the move of God ends. I address this in the book. So the the most selling leadership book in the history of the world is Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's not a book on Christianity. It's a book on leadership. And actually, his entire book was research. It wasn't opinion. And the most successful companies in the world have a few things in common. One, the, the leader is very, very humble. But they all the great leaders that he found, they have a succession plan. If you go look at statistics right now, when these megachurch pastors, when they leave, their church is crumbling. I play golf in California about a year ago right now. And if I told you the name of this pastor, everybody would know his name. And I played with someone who's play golf someone's very close to him and the church has shrunk dramatically in the past five years because this man is stepping further and further away and i i said what do you think the problem is and he says he has absolutely no succession plan it's not biblical and, and see evidence of a celebrity spirit is it's all about the leader and what these leaders do they may not know what demonic spirit they're cooperating with but they protect their own agenda they protect their own ego their own uh, platform 
True fathers genuinely in their heart want the next person, the next people group to be way better. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. He is our master. He said it's better for y'all if I go for then he can come. And then he goes, anyone believes in me, do the same things I've done, even greater things will you do. He raised those young ones up, got out of the way. You don't see that much, Ren, because it's hard. Uh, and you know what? Having a celebrity spirit modeled uh, church actually will make you a whole lot more money. There's a whole lot more giving to that great man of God who's brilliant from stage. But when you when you put the ball in the hands of common people, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to go find me a church that actually I'm not used to this. I'm, I'm, I'm used to you being my vine. This is this model's very costly. It's this whole this whole conversation is very costly to you. Know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's needed. And, and there has to be some point where the church coming to Jesus you have to count the cost. See, we don't do that in the American church. We don't count the cost because we don't see the cost in our culture. Uh, the disciples, I mean, like what you were talking about, China, Iran, Afghanistan, right? I, I know Robbie Dawkins. I have a lot of conversations about that particular subject matter, about the cost of seeing the miraculous in a nation that wants to kill you for it. There is a cost and we don't like to pay that. Uh, and you're right, we need to create succession plans. It needs to be about what I call the next man up. Uh, and, and Chad, you may agree with me here. I believe that's the reason why the enemy has come against the apostolic model in the church. There's been so much pushback against yeah. the idea of apostles and the apostolic model. But for me, the apostolic model is, is a father. They, they want to raise up sons that do better than them. As a senior pastor, I don't want to be the best prophet in the house. I don't want to be the best evangelist in the house. I don't want to be the best teacher. I want to find people that have that call in their life and raise them above me and push them above me. It's really hard. You, you know this lesson. It's really hard to pull someone up from the ground when you're standing on the chair, but it's much easier to push someone above you. And the church needs to start to do that. We need to have pastors and leaders that are fathers that are raising people above them and saying, hey, you have the prophetic voice for this hour. You prophesy, not me. You know, if you struggle being a father, the root of it is you don't know the father. Come on. And there's a metric to the degree in which I'm in close connection with the father. I will father on accident. And unfortunately, in itinerant ministries and from stages, there are a lot of people that are gifted. The gifts are irrevocable. There are a lot of people have astounding gifts, but they don't know the father of that gift to the level they should. For example, Ephesians 1.17 says, I want, I pray you be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, to what end? To know the father better. So if you want to become a father, the first thing to do is to get well acquainted with the father. Come on. So, so far, we've given a lot of ammunition to the people that are listening so they can go to their pastor and say, you're doing it all wrong. I heard from Chad and Red, uh, but <laughs> it, you know, jokingly, let's say this to the people that are listening, because here's the other side of it. Both. I have a heart for the local church. I have a heart for senior pastors. I know what we go through. I know the abuse that comes our way. And here's what I hear from senior pastors. It is very hard for them to step into that role of shaking up the model, becoming a father, and really digging in. 
because so many refuse to be sons. They just want to be pew sitters. You pour into them and they break your heart and they walk away. So what's the dynamic there? What's the responsibility? The correction needs to come on the people that refuse to be fathered. Yeah, it's a tough one. And again, just going, going back to the word, I, I just, my wife and I, we drew a line in the sand about 12 years ago. And I said, I just can't be a part of this model anymore. The model that was opposite of discipleship since then, the amount of heartache in this is paramount, but it's like Simon Peter said, when the Lord said, do you want to leave me too? He didn't say yes or no. He said, where else am I supposed to go? I, I've gotten so deep into this model that what else am I supposed to do at this point? And so what's my answer to your question? Biblically, there is no other way. And yes, it's more painful. And, but you know, I know it was just a story the Lord told, but the prodigal son, that story is not about the sons. That story is about that dad. Yeah. When you become a father, you are going to have your heart broken a lot. And there's no way around it. And this is what I'm about to say. God had to groom me in this. I didn't read some stupid book to teach me how to say this. But I'll tell you this. I have bonded with God in my pain of disappointment. Fathering more than I ever did without. Let's be honest, Ren. You can get on stage right now. Make it rain. Give some words. Give some revelation. Okay, great. No one's going to know you. You're not going to know them. But the moment you open up your doors and now you've got spiritual sons and spiritual daughters, it just gets messy. But for me, I cannot go with an illegal model anymore. You know, it's kind of funny. I feel like the Holy Spirit showing me even right now. The model's changing anyway, so you might as well go with this new model. And the next 50 years from now, if the Lord tarries, they're going to look back and say, I don't even remember the days when the church model was like it was. This America is just a laggard. We're behind on this. Around the world, there's not going to be the same structure to be addicted to. It, it this methodological reformation has already started. It's coming to America. So you might as well join God on it. Come on. So when it comes to the celebrity leader, instead of being a father, you know, I had a conversation. I'll, I'll keep without names, but I had a conversation with a spiritual son of, of a pastor that if I named his name, every single person on here would know. And we were talking about theology. And I said, well, your spiritual dad, doesn't agree with this theology. And he goes, yeah, I don't either. I said, so when he was teaching it and you're sitting in there at dinner, did you correct that? I said, or did you act like everyone else acts? Nobody speaks when he's speaking. Yeah. And he says, nope, I didn't say a word. No, cause that's, that's my father. And I thought to myself, that's not a fathering model. That is no. a celebrity pastor model. If I'm your spiritual son, then I should be able to talk to you and challenge you and have conversations with you. It shouldn't be a one-way conversation. My uh, wife and I got in a intense marital fellowship conversation about five years ago. And at the time, my 18-year-old was about 13 or 14. And uh, I was already feeling convicted anyway. Some of the things I said, you know how it is being married. It can be so hard at times. And yeah. And, uh, Sam came to me and he, and he said, you know, that was wrong. And I said, I do. And I, what my wife and I have modeled with our kids is we've actually invited them into our mistakes more than the great man of God and woman of God syndrome. Uh, we process our brokenness with them. 
humility has to look like something. Even this morning with our school and staff, I even said these words. We're talking about Matthew 18 and how to confront in love. I said, guys, if y'all see me in error or one of your other uh, leaders in error, and you don't come to us, well, that's really as much on you as it is on us. And I even said the spiritual authority culture around here is if you see something wrong, just unity does not mean we always agree on everything. It just means you're biblical on how you handle things. I said, if any of us are off, come to us. I, I think that's a great metric, Ren, on this celebrity thing. If it, if any form of leadership in any organization, church, if you're afraid to talk to the leader, there could be some insecurities on the sun side. I get it. That, that has to be objectively talked through. Or it could just be an, a, a, a tyrannical type model, which not really fathering. Yeah, absolutely. And I see some pastors that they don't start out as tyrants. They, but it becomes out of a need of self-preservation, not because of correction, but because of the people that like to criticize. You, you and I both know we have platforms, we have books. It doesn't matter what you say. They'll take a 10-second statement and beat you up because you didn't preach the entire fullness of the gospel in 10 seconds. We forgot about this and you let off that bat, and I don't believe that. I was um, on some video and this guy was criticizing some lyrics from a Bethel song because he said, Jesus is the son. And he said, father. And, and, uh, and they, they started tearing apart that theology that Jesus is not the father and the father. And, and I went in the comments and read a few of them. And in the comments, he was saying, well, yeah, it says that he's everlasting father, but that's different than father, the Godhead. And, uh, and well, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he taught the disciples. So he was a spiritual father, but that's different. The lyrics in the song don't state what kind of father. So the guy in the comments was saying, well, yeah, he's a father, but I just want to nitpick the lyrics in a 10-second chorus. And so we have this culture of criticism. We have this whole culture where you could say a shaking that happened is that everybody gets a voice. And a lot of times those voice can be both good and evil. They, they get to just pop off whatever they say. And so you have a lot of pastors that are now insulating themselves out of self-preservation. So how do we, as, as Christians, not just pastors, but as people of God, because we all make posts on social media and then somebody comes against us over that. How do we uh, stay insulated or stay protected, our spirit stay protected from those attacks, but not create walls of offense, right? Because offense builds offense. I believe this is the easiest question you've asked me for me to answer, just learning by experience. So, softball, any, there you go. For any leader on any level, ask yourself a question. Do you have five people that could walk into your house unannounced, go into your refrigerator, eat your food, and you not be offended? Are you that vulnerable in a tight-knit community? Now, I don't mean 20 people, but I mean five to seven. Do you model a life of vulnerability with those that you can trust? So in John 2, I talked to my wife about this last night. Jesus, he, he ends up dying for these people, but he says he knew what was in their hearts. He didn't trust them. However, he's got the intimate three. He seemed to spend more time with Peter, James, and John than even the other nine. This is what protects me. It's what protects you. It's what protects leaders. Do I have a vulnerable community that knows my insides and out that knows my brokenness that doesn't just know me as the great man of God that got someone's social security number when they prophesied. 
Okay, great. Wonderful. Those, those moments are fun. I, I had feathers manifest not too long ago and I prayed over someone. That's great. Signs follow them that believe. All right, let's take that to the side. You're a real person. When the greatest leader in the history of God's kingdom, whoever that was, goes to bed at night, they take off their socks. Their socks stink just like yours. So much of this stuff, like the spirit of Balaam you see in Jude. We have made such a big deal out of the man of God. I believe in honor. I get it. But at the same time, man, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And a lot of these celebrity leaders, they insulate themselves and no one can get to them. There better be five people that can come eat your food out of your uh, fridge and speak anything into your life when they want to. That, sir, is a perfect answer. People are commenting right now. They, they're they like, I wonder where I've heard that analogy. I use the fridge analogy all the time. A son yeah. has access to the fridge. I don't care if you're a man of God. You can't just come in my house at two in the morning because you're a great evangelist. You yeah. don't have access to my fridge. Sons have access to my fridge. It's relationship, not performance, that gives you access to the fridge. That is yeah. the perfect answer. And I'm going to I'm going to assume that that wasn't an attack on me because of the social security I named off last month. So we're just going to, he didn't know. He didn't know guys. He didn't know. Uh, <laughs> so, so tell me what's, what's happening now. What's the next season? What are you pushing into with this revelation and what do you want to see happen? Well, I'm a diehard university of Georgia Bulldogs. My family's still celebrating a, a national championship. We're still leaning into that. Looking forward to next year. But in all seriousness, what am I pushing into? We, uh, a long story ran, I'll make it short. The Holy Spirit began to give my wife and I a burden for a school about five years ago. And you know the story when the Lord says, Simon, throw your net over there. I, I didn't want to go get a doctorate. I had no desire. I told God I'd never go to seminary. He made me. I said, I'm not Come getting on, a doctorate. preach. I'm about done getting my doctorate at Regent University, about to wrap it up. And we started a school here, and it's gone from nothing to something. This thing is turning into K through 12 and then a three-year college program. I Fathering has to look like something. This school is um, – he's even showing me now. Take, a, uh, take an oil funnel, funnel, turn it upside down. You know, we've got 70 to 80 kids in our school, but it's this small number that we're seeing massive impact. A lot of people want to turn the, the funnel upside down and just get as many people into the church house as you can. We're doing the Peter, James, John model here. We're focusing on the few to get to the bunch. That's where my heart is. Uh, that It's it's this school, uh, Garden Academy, Garden College. And uh, I've just, over the years, stumbled into this really rabbinical model of the Lord's not insecure where he has to count, you know, the Baptist church growing up, they count how many people walk through the doors every day. The Lord really changed the world by investing in three people. And so our smaller model here is our school and it has, it has the most of my heart really. Amen. Well, you're a man after my heart for sure. This conversation has been amazing. I hope that it's helping you guys uh, to walk in the fullness of what God is calling you in this season. Cause he's right. There's a shaking that's happening in the church right now, and we need to catch up to it if we're going to keep up with it. But here's the ultimate reason for all of this, guys, is because we're in a harvest season. We're seeing revival and 
probably the greatest harvest of souls that's happening in our generation right now. And that doesn't happen from a few celebrity pastors. It happens from everyday, ordinary men and women of God stepping up into who they're called to be, being fathered and raised up, because it's going to take all of us activated and moving in this season to see the harvest. I can't go get a billion people by myself, but I can raise up three, like Chad said. And those three can raise up three, maybe 12 if you're good. And then we can see a billion people come in. We can see the world know that Jesus was the one that was sent. Because that's the goal, I think. So how do people follow up with you? How do they get the book? Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, It's called God is Shaking His Temple. It's uh, uh, had more warfare writing this book than any of the three books I've written. Uh, devil really hated this book just really takes a look at what is this current reformation what is the recipe of it why does what is all this conversation about in the first place or you can follow me at thegardengreenville.com thegardengreenville.com amen i've had such a great time with this conversation hang on for just a minute and thank you guys for being here do me a favor if you want to be able to watch the extra after the recording then make sure you are subscribing to us on youtube okay youtube.com slash freedom fellowship and you can see the extra stuff if you're listening on charisma podcast today have a blessed day and remember if no one's told you i love you god loves you shalom Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church/dangerous. slash